The following program is sponsored by Cleveland Right to Life and is responsible for its content. Welcome to From the Median, a daily report from the front line of the pro-life movement, discussing two worldviews that are driving our culture in opposite directions. From the Median asks, which side of the road are you on? What direction do you want our culture to go? Tune in as we plan the route that takes us back to the culture of life. And now your host, Molly Smith. Good evening and welcome to From the Median, where we are concerned with the middle ground, not just to understand both sides of an argument, but also to awaken the consciences of those who are neutral or indifferent to this, the greatest civil rights movement of all times, the pro-life movement. This evening, we continue our Bringing America Back to Life series. Tonight, we will feature a presentation from our 2023 convention. Our speakers' ideas will inspire you with principles, experiences, and wisdom as they join us to pave the way back to life through prayer, action, voting, and education. I am pleased to introduce Hugh Brown, the oldest son of Paul Brown and Judy Brown, co-founder and president of American Life League. Hugh currently serves on the board of the American Life League and is All's Executive Vice President. His podcasts are heard on Ave Maria Radio and address current attacks by the culture of death on our young people. Hugh has led a life dedicated to God, family and the culture of life. His talk, Restoring the Family, reveals his determination to raise and train the next generation of pro-life leaders and Catholic leaders, men and women, who will not flinch in the face of our eroding culture. All right, thank you very much. Uh, It's my pleasure to be here, and I first wanted to thank Molly. I I saw her this morning. I was supposed to speak uh, tomorrow. And uh, she asked me at 10 o'clock this morning if I could speak right now. And my plan was, I had laid all this out. I reviewed it once. And I was going to go through it like four or five times tonight and then crush it tomorrow. So I said, sure, sure. Let me run to my room, comb my hair, put on a tie, and speed read what I laid out. So I thank you for being here. Uh, Before I begin, uh, Mike had asked me about my father. A very nice compliment. Thank you. My father passed in 2021 in November. And I, this was not part of my plan, but when you mentioned his name, I, just before I came in here, I said, I'm going to dedicate this talk to my dad. Um, he was the backbone of the American Life League for many years. I like to say that my mother is the, the, the conscience of the pro-life movement, right? My father was not. <laughs> my mom was very dedicated to the babies and, and the elderly and the sick and the infirm. So was my father, but he made sure that everything worked. And when my dad died, uh, he died in November, in May of that year, he had a miraculous conversion, right? We didn't talk about it, but he'd been away from the church for like 25 or 30 years. But the reason he'd been away, he was very upset with the bishop's treatment of my mother. And if you know anything about my mother, she's not shy about telling you the way things should be, what canon law is and how the church should treat people like our esteemed president who call themselves Catholic but does not act like a Catholic. So my dad fell away, whatever the reasons are, they are. But in May of 2021, a priest visited with him, and he had a miraculous conversion. He came back, and he came back in a way that was so inspiring. I didn't plan to share it, but I'll share it now. After Father Weems met with him, my dad, I met with my dad. He was in tears. He couldn't believe it. And he said, I don't know how, son. And he was was failing. He was failing, you could tell. He was failing. He died about four months later. But he said, son, I believe it all. He said, I believe it all, and I, I never thought I would come back, but I'm back. And, I, and, he, and he thanked me. He thanked me for bringing Father Weems out. And I just wanted to share that. 
Because we never, my mother, right, it kind of reminded me of St. Augustine. My mother prayed for his conversion for 30 years, okay? Yeah, so did the family, right? And in May, in May, which the month of our blessed mother, he came roaring back. And he passed in November, and we know he's in a better place. So my talk today, they mentioned it was about the family. The funny thing is, that's news to me. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. What Molly asked us to focus on was a Bible verse, and I'll get to that in a minute, um, about having uh, no fear. But growing up in a pro-life family, um, the conversations at our dinner table were a little bit different than most, right? We didn't really talk about the news of the day. I'm 12 years old. My parents are talking about in, vit- in vitro fertilization, right? My parents are talking about uh, partial birth abortion. So we very much as a family were immersed um, in, in the culture of life and opposing the culture of death uh, from day one. And Judy Brown, my mom, very tough lady, growing up uh, in that household. In 1987, I was a senior in high school, and we never thought it would happen because Judy didn't play games. My mother allowed cable television. It was like, wow, thank you, Mom. So we're having dinner. CNN is on, you know, that wonderful news network. And we're having dinner, and my dad drops his fork. We all look up. And what, what had happened is that CNN was talking about Oral Roberts, Oral Roberts had made the announcement that at Oral Roberts University, Oral Roberts was going up into his prayer tower, and he was going to pray and fast, and he wasn't coming out one way or the other until he had raised $8 million. He was halfway there when an elderly Jewish, Jewish man in Miami, who, not Christian, didn't know anything about Oral Roberts, was so moved by the story that he sent Oral the $4 million. My dad had the same reaction. Dropped his fork, said, son, grab your mother, put her in the attic. And my mother doesn't suffer fools. She's like, oh, Tony, you just... That's the family we grew up in. And I wanted to start there with that story because talking about faith and courage and having no fear, was it faith on the part of Oral Roberts that sent him up into that tower? Was it courage? Um, I would say that it's both. You know, the, the verse that Molly asked us to focus on She sent an email back in December, I think, and wanted us on our talk to focus on Luke chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. And I've spent a lot of time in the last couple of months thinking about this. And this particular verse says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but after that can do no more. I shall show you whom to fear. Be afraid of the one who, after killing, has the power to cast into Gehenna. Yes, I tell you. Be afraid of that one. And Molly wanted to focus on the four words where Christ says, do not be afraid, right? And in 2023, fear dominates everything. I think that the world uses it, the media uses it, social media uses it, and what are we to be afraid of, right? The world empowers the culture of death. Abortion, right? The abortion pill. The abortion pill is currently Planned Parenthood's number one way of killing children. Planned Parenthood is responsible for 55% of all abortions in this country. And that, that, that number is from 2020. We normally put out reports on their annual numbers at the, American Life League, at the American Life League through our Stop Planned Parenthood program, but they haven't published numbers in two years. They are responsible for 83% two years ago of all chemical abortions, right? That's their model. My daughter uncovered that they had put together a network, a network and an online community and resources and infrastructure, and launched it just prior, just prior 
one or two weeks prior to the world being shut down during the coronavirus so that you could log on to a computer and have these pills sent to you, right? So the world is never going to stop, but it asks us to be afraid to not address these things, right? Be not afraid. The world uses those things to try to silence us because it's a woman's choice, right? We don't want to stand in the way of that uh, because we're somehow judgmental if we oppose abortion. Being a Catholic, Catholics who basically are the pillar of the culture of death, right? If Catholics actually acted like Catholics, abortion would be almost unthinkable, right? But that's not the case, okay? That is not the case, right? And they try to use fear, right? Do not be afraid. So how do you use fear? How's fear relevant there? Well, we can't judge this guy, right? Because Christ said, do not judge. That's a total misinterpretation of what Christ meant, right? Christ came at the Pharisees hard, right? He came at them hard. And when he came, what I like to tell, I'm also a football coach. What I tell young men is this. Look, when Jesus showed up, he didn't go for the dudes in the hats and the robes, right? He had nothing to do with those guys. He went to fishermen. And 2,000 years ago, those guys are probably not wearing anything, right? They probably smelled really wonderful. He went for the tough guys, right? He went for the guys who he knew he could depend on in a tough moment. And he educated them. He built them from the ground up. So as Catholics, we're not supposed to say much. We're not, to say, not supposed to say anything when someone, because of their political affiliation, supports the culture of death. That's nonsense. That's not what Christ is asking us in this hour. That's how the world uses fear, right? And I've listened to some of the other speakers touch on this issue of transgenderism, right? It's demonic, right? It's come out of nowhere. It's a strong pillar on the culture of death, and they're using it to destroy our children, Right? You, know, you mentioned social media. Social media is bombarding our kids with lies and deceit. But we can't oppose it, otherwise we're going to upset the world. And all that leads to sexual immorality, right? Sexual immorality is also something we're not supposed to talk about because to each his own. All these things are phrased and presented to us so that we don't get labeled, especially the younger generation. I have children from 29 down to 18. And to high school students, I would tell you this, right? It, the devil uses fear. Because you don't want to be labeled a phobe, whatever the latest phobe is today. Okay, I, don't, I can't keep up with it. You don't want to be a hater. You don't want to be a sexist. Everything is racist now. I read this morning somehow water is racist. That, that's a new one, right? So we don't, we don't want to be labeled these things. But the point is, we cannot have fear. Fear is the work of the enemy. And we have to work and pray to overcome that fear. As, as I read in that verse, do not be afraid. It's interesting because in preparing for this, Molly sent that out in December. For those who are Catholic, if you went to, went to Mass last week, the gospel was the transfiguration. And in the transfiguration, Christ goes up on the mountain. He takes uh, Peter with him, I think James and John, right? He appears as dazzling white. Um, Elijah and Moses are there. And Peter, most of us guys can relate to Peter. He's like, wow, let's build some tents. You know, Christ was like, what are you talking about? Right? But then they were overshadowed. And the voice of the Lord said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him, right? And these guys, they hit the ground, face down, right? Fear. And what does Christ say? Exactly what was in that other verse. He reaches over, touches them on the shoulder and says, do not be afraid, right? Christ assured them because he knows that the greatest weapon that the enemy has is fear. But we have hope, right? And this part I wanted to read. Hope is the essence of our faith. Our faith requires courage. It's easy to say, but courage can be difficult. Examples draw us closer to strength. 
as we face the wickedness and snares of the enemy who aspires us to fear, I've learned this um, with having a wife and a bunch of kids. I've learned this in business for 30 years. At a point, we employed a couple hundred people. I've learned this in coaching a football team. I've learned this in in founding a high school and and dealing with families. Um, It's very important that the words we say, yeah, they matter, but what's critically more ten times important is the witness that we give, right? The examples that we give. And I think as Catholics, as Christians, as people of faith, you can be an agnostic. You can still lean on examples, right? And I've got three examples that I lean on that I wanted to share. One of them, and I did my homework on this one because there were some things I learned that I thought were pretty cool that I'm going to share. Many years ago, somebody told me the story of St. Ignatius of Antioch, right? He was the third bishop of Antioch after St. Peter himself, then another one who was martyred, and then uh, Ignatius. Um, And in his martyrdom, he wrote numerous letters where he was really looking forward to being eaten by lions, okay? He actually celebrated, couldn't wait to give his life. Uh, what I found in, in, in church history, in church tradition, is this, which I didn't know until I discovered this two weeks ago. In Mark chapter 9, 35 and 37, it's talking about Christ. The Lord sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, If anyone wishes to be first, he shall be last, and all of all, and the servant of all. Taking a child, he placed the child in their midst, and putting his arm around the child, he said to them, Whoever receives one child such as this in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but the one who sent me. Church tradition teaches that that child, and I didn't know this, that that child was, was Ignatius of Antioch. How cool is that, right? How cool is that? That he actually had Christ put his arms around him, and now 60 years later, whatever the time is, he's joyfully going to be eaten by lions, I don't know about you, but that, I would not be looking forward to that. But those are examples we have to lean on. It was 2,000 years ago, so what? Time means nothing to God, absolutely nothing. The Lord orders time and place. He puts us here for a reason. In this time and place, he depends on us, right? I'm preaching to the choir, but the people gathered in this room, you have a purpose, right? And we can lean on the saints. You need courage? Ask him for his help, right? I have kids all the time. I coach a lot of kids. They're not Catholic, don't, didn't even know Christ before they, they, they met me. They do now. Right? And I tell them all the time, your mom's got cancer. You ask me to pray for you. Yeah, you, I got you. I'm going to pray for you. There's no difference than me asking Ignatius to pray for us. He's there, and he's a lot closer than I am. So I try to give examples because we have to be edified, especially our young people. We've got to lean and turn to courage. And I see a lot of Catholic school students here. Everyone knows this next one. Maria Goretti. I have three daughters. Uh, my daughter Katie has a devotion to Maria Goretti. Maria was 12, and if you don't know her story, there was an 18-year-old. Her family was out working in the field. She was in Italy about 100 years ago. This 18-year-old had made advances on her in the past. Guy comes up, she resists, he stabs her to death, right? And she resisted saying, we shall not offend the Lord, right? Imagine that. Imagine that from a 12-year-old. Guy comes back angry, stabs her to death. She didn't die right away. Two agonizing days, she dies. Now, if that's my daughter, I'm thinking about how do we go find and kill this guy? Okay, but that's not what her mother did. Her mother ended up forgiving him, right? She stabbed to death. As she's dying, she forgives him. He goes to prison, has a miraculous conversion after having a dream of her. 30 years later, he finds himself in St. Peter's Square with her mother when she's canonized a saint by Pope Pius. How about that, right? But now, the stories we lead today, if you turn on popular culture, popular television, want to watch a movie about some guy's family who's been killed, the entire movie's about how he's going to plot down and kill everybody, 
right? We pay $12 to go see that. The Lord expects better of us. So we've got to lean on the saints as examples for today. Because as we face the trials and tribulations and the nonsense of today, there's nothing new, right? Transgenderism, abortion, none of this is new. It's louder. Evil is not new, right? Evil beat the Lord to death, right, and thought they had won. They didn't win. The last example I'll give you is one of my favorite saints, someone I talk to all the time. It's Maximilian Colby. And again, for young men, examples for men, examples are important. This guy was 12 years old, 10, 11, 12 years old. He had an apparition, a vision of the Blessed Mother. The Blessed Mother presented to him two crowns, one white, one red. One was for purity, one was for martyrdom. He knew that. She told him that. She asked him to choose one. He chose both. He chose both. Many years later, he finds himself in Auschwitz, a concentration camp. Someone had escaped. The Nazis gathered together 12 men, said they were going to kill them all. One of the men was a father, like many of us, with children, like many of us. Maximilian Kolbe said, I don't think so. He said, I'll take his place. They killed everybody but him and two others. They wanted to treat him cruelly. So they put him in a metal box the size of one of these squares here with two other people. Two weeks he survived. Everybody else died. The guards went in to kill him and inject him with carbolic acid. Right? The Nazis used carbolic acid. They also gassed millions of people with something called Zyklon B. Both of those chemicals produced by the same company today that produces RU486. Okay? Evil is alive and well. It never dies. It never dies. Right? But we have hope in Christ. And Maximilian Kolbe, despite that horror... One of the guards who was transcribed once that, that camp was liberated, and it was an American that took the notes in interviewing him, they're interested in what happened to Maximilian. He died praising the Lord and singing the praises of the Blessed Mother. Right? There's an example. The next time you feel pressure, oh my gosh, this person's making fun of me, or I'm the oddball in the room, or I don't know if I should stand up to this because I don't want to be labeled a phobe, have no fear. Have no fear. The Lord expects more of us. He entrusts us. He empowers us. He gives us everything we need. We have tremendous weapons. I've got a rosary in my pocket. Jay said we've got adoration. Look, I've learned this the hard way. The Lord's humbled me more than once, right? And I find great peace in adoration. I find great hope in adoration. I told a son of mine who struggles. He struggles mightily. struggles with a lot of things. I gave him an example of another saint. I said, here's what I want you to do. I'd ask you just to sit in the back of the church. You don't have to believe anything. I'm not asking you to say a word. You can hate everybody in here. Sit there for 10 minutes. Do that a few times a week. That's all I'm asking you to do. And slowly but surely, the Lord's working. Right? We have to have faith, and we have to be willing to do things that others maybe are not willing to do. The last example I'll give you is my mother. Right? Here's a modern-day saint. And if she were here, she'd get up and throw something at me. Because, oh, I'm not a saint. Well, yes, she is. So she founded the American Life League in 1979. What most people don't know is that she'd been involved in the abortion movement, if that's the, you know, the abortion horror. hate to call it an industry or a movement. I agree. An issue. It's not. She's been involved in this terror since the 19, late 60s when I was born in the state of Washington. In the state of Washington, they had something called Referendum 20, and you know, that great progressive state you know, legalized abortion before anyone else. And I'll get army with something else. Anybody that says they're progressive or they want progress, no, they want regress, right? They want regress to no morality and straight back to hell, right? There's no such thing as a progressive, right? If we were progressive, we'd be aspiring to the Almighty. That's where we progress, 
right? So my mother's been involved in this movement and this fight from day one. In the late 70s, she'd been in the national right, worked for the national right to life for a long time. They offered her to be president, and she said no. She loved national right to life. We still work with national right to life, but she felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to found an organization that did two things, three things, actually. Those two things. Number one, talk about contraception. Talk about the evils of contraception, right? If you believe polling, which I don't, you know, 95% of Catholics use some form of contraception. I don't believe that because my church parking lot is full of more Catholic family vans than you could ever possibly imagine. So there's a, there's a whole lot of big families in that parish, right? Secondly, because abortion, right, if we're, if we're honest about it, abortion is the result of the contraceptive mindset. Secondly, she wanted an organization that was no exceptions, no compromise, right? Child can be conceived under any normal circumstance and maybe under some horrific circumstances. But the point is it's a human being made in the image and likeness of God. And thirdly, she wanted to to defend Christ in the Eucharist. And those are things we do to this day. And she does it without fear. And I use her as an example because in the many years I've been involved in this, there are things that upset me greatly. and, And I've learned from her how to respond. She's been targeted by the government. She's been targeted by the Internal Revenue Service. She's been targeted by the Justice Department. She's been targeted by guys who used to be cardinals that no longer are. She's been targeted by everybody. And she just receives it all with humility and love. Right? She would not, well, she might make a better football coach than me, but she's a tough lady, and she receives these things in humility. <clears throat> Let me find out where I am. A story that I wanted to share is a message that I received in 2004. Uh, in 2004, we were two or three, three, three or four years into a building we had built a 65, 70,000 square foot building. We were doing printing and mailing, um, focused on Catholic organizations, conservative groups, Christian groups. You could be an agnostic group, but you needed to be doing good things. You needed to be doing the Lord's work, whether you do it or not. You might be a hospital. We'll work with you. You might be feeding the poor. We'll work with you. We built that building in 1999 and 2000. A year later, 9-11 happened. The world really got shook up. We'd had some issues. By 2004, we'd re- recovered and then some. The company was rocking and rolling. But when 9-11 happened, our primary lender out of New York changed hands numerous times. I didn't pay attention. I learned very important detail about paying attention to maybe some of the little things. In May of 2004, and that wasn't a coincidence, the bank asked for a meeting. They showed up and they said, we know that your loan is in great shape. company looks healthy. company looks great. But we don't like you. We don't like what you do. And we're calling the loan. My dad, who was alive at the time, was sitting at the head of the table, goes, well, it's a great meeting. Get the bleep out of my building. And away they went. So from that meeting, my dad left. I went to work. I stayed there late, called everybody I knew. How do we get through this? It took two and a half years to get that loan. And now here we were faced with a situation where it had to be replaced in 30 days. It's an impossibility. So I left. It was late. I don't remember the time, but I drove home. For 30 years now, same, same path I drive every day, I pass St. Matthew's in Spotsylvania, which is our home parish. And it came over me that I needed to stop by that church, open the doors, march up to the tabernacle and tell the Lord how messed up this was, tell him how we had dedicated everything to him, how we had dedicated our company to Christ, how we were focused on a certain client for him, how we treated our, our employees a certain way for him, and what he was doing was ridiculous, and how dare he. A lot of me, 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 me. And I'm telling you, I was angry. And I pulled into that church, I don't know, it was nine something. 
right? I go up to the church doors and they opened. And I say that because after what I'm about to tell you, two or, a day or two went by, I was astounded. The one person I really wanted to tell what had happened was Father Riley, who was the pastor of that church. And he said, Mr. Brown, he said, that's an incredible story. He said, but I'm going to stop right here and tell you, you have an incredible guardian angel. And I said, why is that, Father? And he said, because I locked those doors every day at 730. And I locked them that day. And I said, well, Father, they opened for me. And he said, were there candles lit in that church? And I said, Father, other than the candle lit by the tabernacle, the candle in front of the Blessed Mother was lit. Now, try not to get emotional. And he said, I put that out too. I didn't know how to answer that, right? So as I'm walking through this church and I'm marching up to the tabernacle, all this is going through my head. I'm going to lay it on the Lord. The front right pew at St. Matthew's, I should probably steal someday and put in my house because it means a lot to my family. I'm in the middle of genuflecting. I didn't even make it all the way down. And I distinctly hear, do great things in my name. Do great things in my name. And I got to tell you, at that moment, my knee hit the floor. The other knee hit the floor. Both my fists hit the floor. And I don't know how long I was there. Cell phones were a new thing. I remember the number. Because whatever hour, the late night that it was when I went out there, I'd missed 15 calls from my wife who was worried where I was. I don't know how long I was in that church. An hour or two, I don't know. But all I know, when I came out, I was totally drenched. Sweat, tears, probably, sorry ladies, some snot. Crying, it was a blubbering mess. Because my reaction to that immediately was, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. Forgive me for walking in here like that. And the second part was, you've got to be kidding me. I, of all the six billion people on earth that you should send that to, I'm probably the last one. Right? I'm not worthy of this. Not worthy at all. But he answered every concern I had in that moment. And that message wasn't for me. That message is for you. The Lord needs you. He needs us to do great things in his name. Do great things in my name. Do not be afraid. So what do we do? We do great things in his name. Right? We have no fear. Because fear is the work of the enemy. Faith, and I had one slide, it says hope. Hope is what we have in the Lord. There it is. Boom. And shiny too, I like it. In that moment, the Lord answered everything that I had. It, was it going to be difficult with the bank? Yeah, it was going to get miserable. Hang on. It was going to be tough. Hang on. There were going to be days you're just going to want to quit. Hang on. I got you. Do you, do you, do you trust me? And I didn't know if I did or I didn't. I'll be honest. Was I strong enough? So getting up off that floor, the last thing the Lord allowed me to see was myself. He showed me the, the tabernacle and I saw myself in front of him as a pile of broken pieces, but held together by him. And I really started crying when that happened because I thought, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I understand it. I understand it. I don't know if I'm strong enough to do what you need me to do, but I'm willing to give it a try. So me being the consummate businessman, I'm walking out of that church, stop halfway up, look back at the candle that shouldn't be lit in the Blessed Mother, and I held up my rosary. And I said, Mary, Mother of God, I said, I got a deal for you. I said, <laughs> it's not literally what I said. <laughs> I can laugh. No, I wasn't laughing then. But I asked her to pray for me. Pray for me. I say the rosary every day. I'm going to continue to say the rosary every day. And if you'll pray for me, pray that, that I have the strength. Because if this fails, it's going to fail because I wasn't strong enough. And a year and a half later, that nasty old bank, they actually went out of business. Imagine that. How about that, huh? And now get this. My attorney, and I learned the value of a good attorney. 
My attorney, who was dealt in financial matters, said, you know, he said, I thought you were kind of a rube and naive when I first met you. I said, why is that? He goes, all this faith stuff, man. But he goes, I guess there's something to it. He said, because in all my years, he said, I've dealt with people like you, much bigger than you, and I've dealt with banks far worse. He goes, this was personal. They didn't like you people at all. And I said, well, the Lord led us through, did he not? And a statue of the Blessed Mother went in front of that building and still sits there today, and I also put one in front of the high school. And I tell people, Catholic or not, doesn't matter. She's the mother of God. She's the mother of us all. If you have a need, if you need, if you need help, you need someone to turn to, she will not fail you. She will not fail you. She's always there. And the rosary is one of those weapons that we have to use and use often. And so, brothers and sisters, what I would tell you is that the Lord, in his great mercy, needs us to do great things in his name. And how do we do that? Well, the first thing that we do is we have to reject the world. Right? We have to have faith. The people in this room, you've got to be shining examples. How do you do that? The first thing is we can't lament. You know how many people say to me, oh, we live in a post-Christian Postmodern, it's the death of the West. I'm like, stop talking to me, right? It's not post anything. What do you think Ignatius thought when you're leading him into the lions? You think he thought, oh, is this post Christian? Yeah, he probably did, right? Or imagine waking up in Auschwitz. You think that was a post Christian society? The Lord overcame it all, right? And he overcame it all because of the faith of his people. So you can't buy into stuff like that. Believe me, in the work that we do, especially if you start talking about people that are call themselves Catholic, but are supporting the culture of death. I see the worst of the worst in terms of how we want to go after them. But I'll encourage you to do this. Here's my answer. Because I was a guy not too long ago was like, let's just throw them all off the roof. Well, here's what we need to do. We have a prayer card at our booth at the American Life League, and it's for the conversion of our president. Okay? Get a prayer card and pray for him. Can God do that? Of course he can. Of course he can. I used to say that if Bill Clinton ever converted, as hokey and as him talking to people as he was, if he'd had a genuine conversion of heart, he would have converted the entire world. Maybe we didn't pray enough for him, right? So yes, we've got to oppose these people. Yes, we have to have courage from within the Catholic faith, from the leadership of the Catholic faith. No fear, right? No fear. We've got to confront these things head on. But we, our job is to, yes, hold the line, but also pray for those that need it most. I tell young people this often. It's easy, it's easy for us to pray one another, right? But how often do we actually, actually sincerely pray for our enemies, right? That's what the Lord expects of us. So I'll, I'll say this. It is a great time in life. It's a great time in life to be a Catholic. It's a great time in life to be a Christian. Because as I said earlier, God orders time and place. And in this time and place, we find ourselves with this list a few pages back. Yes, we have abortion. Now we have Amazon delivering abortion pills to young women in their homes. We have transgenderism. We have social media apps that are hacking the country and trying to lead our kids straight to hell. What greater time than for us to be witnesses to the truth? You have to be disciplined in your life. You have to be purpose-driven in your life. One of the things that I tell young men um, when I'm coaching football is this. The rarest commodity... The rarest commodity, and I've only been a head football coach since 2018. I was 48. It was 2018. We started the program in 17. I hired a guy. It was a disaster. We fired everybody. Again, it was the month of May. God's got a good sense of humor. May of 2018, I told my wife, we're going to have to cancel this thing. I don't have time for this. And she said, why don't you do it? And I said, only with your permission. The only person that scares me more than my mother is my wife. So... Oh, my daughter will tell you, she's beautiful too, five feet tall, and she can, Godzilla, she's awesome. So we started this football program, 
God has blessed us. We've won multiple state championships. We won a high school state championship. God has blessed us. He's using it as I say this. Football is the vehicle. Christ is the destination. I have young men asking me to pray for them. I have young men asking me, how do I get baptized? I have young men asking me, how do I convert coach? That's why we do this, right? But the rarest commodity in young men, the rarest commodity, and it's getting rarer because of social media and these daggone phones, is mental toughness. Mental toughness is rare, right? What does mental toughness mean? Mental toughness means that they have the discipline, right? The discipline to do the little things. Get out of your bed on time. When your alarm clock goes off, get up and get moving. Get to school on time. Be early, right? Do the things necessary to be successful. If there's something you're supposed to do that you don't want to do, that's what you should be doing, right? Don't go telling anybody about it because nobody cares, right? But I need you to do the right things, do the little things, and that's where mental toughness comes from, being able to face things. I've had many people come through our organization, through the school, donors, my gosh, Supporters that I talk to or whose families are suffering with the worst things. And I pray with them all the time, right? Because what, to me, if mental toughness is rare, what's even rarer is moral courage, right? Moral courage, right? Everybody's a Christian on Sunday, right? But how about, how about Friday night, right? How about Wednesday when you're confronted with something? If you confront it, it could change that person's life, but maybe it's an inconvenience, right? Moral courage, especially in this fight. Right? We are fighting a demonic principality. We can talk about Planned Parenthood. We can talk about Joe Biden. We can talk about this priest or this bishop who's not doing this. We are at war with hell. Okay? And the greatest weapon we have is what I said earlier. It's prayer, and especially as Catholics. We have the communion of the saints and angels. We've got to lean on them and spiritually war against this evil. And then we have to go to work. Right? The Lord desires our effort. I say this. I say the Lord blesses the grind. That means that you need to do the things that you're supposed to do. We need to do the things we don't want to do. We need to do it all for him. Right? And in doing it for him, he will bless that effort. Right? The worst thing we can do is lose hope. Don't lose hope. I talked to a donor back in 2020 who hadn't been out of bed in two weeks. He wasn't sick. Extremely wealthy guy, too. Would call me just to give me a hard time. He had nothing else to do. I said, well, why aren't you out of bed? He goes, because I just, I'm so sick of the church. I said, well, the church isn't sick of you, right? God isn't giving up on you. Don't give up on him. Well, I'm despairing. Despair is the work of the enemy. So I prayed with him, sent him some things that I thought would help him, and, and he's doing much better today. We cannot give in to despair. We have to work, and we have to stay focused, and we have to trust in the Lord. Because as I said, and I'll close with, mental toughness leads to moral courage. Courage to oppose the culture of death. Courage to oppose our enemies, but also pray for them. Courage to defend Christ and his church against wolves. Courage to defend the unborn, to defend mothers, to defend the elderly, the sick, and the infirmed. And to men, right? And to men, to young men, to middle-aged men, to old men. Courage to make good decisions as men. People talk about abortion being unthinkable. You know what? Abortion is impossible if the Lord's men act like men, you understand me? If we act like men, right, all this promiscuity and nonsense, it's on the internet, right? One of the greatest plagues right now is pornography. I think it destroys families. I think it destroys souls. How many politicians do you see opposing it? Zero. Why is that? Because they're all making money off of it. They don't care about you. They don't. 
But you as a family, as a unit, have to have standards. And young men and men, if we act like men as God intended us to, where sex is a gift for marriage and procreation, not for something immoral, abortion is impossible. It's not unthinkable, it's impossible. At the American Life League, we we preach this message all the time. They say that abortion is a woman's issue. No, it's not. It's a family issue. Right? It's a family issue. Because you've got a mother, you've got a father, and you've got a child. And just because it's an inconvenience, the vast majority of young women we talk to and, and, and abortion survivors and victims, and I call them victims because Planned Parenthood is an evil, awful, horrific, demonic organization preying on young women for dollars who care about you. They care about the money they make for killing your children. It's a family issue. And we work very hard to empower young women by connecting them with any and many resources we have. We have an associates program. We've got groups all over the country. You could be in Minnesota, be in California, be in Hawaii. You could be in another country. We'll connect you with the right people. You do not have to kill your baby. I've said this. For every kid that has been slaughtered, every baby that's been taken from this planet unjustly, immorally, and just horrifically, I bet you we could find five families that would take every single one of those young people. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Men need to act like men. Christ needs to be the head of us. We need to be the head of our families. And if we're single men, we need to treat young women with respect, with honor, and not do the things that lead to abortion. Lead chaste, healthy lives. And if you've got energy you need to spend, come and roll in my high school. We'll, uh, we'll put you to work in our weight room. So again, I'll close with, Molly asked us to focus on do not be afraid. And I counter that with do great things in my name. That's the message for you today. And my favorite scripture in the Bible, I've got a few of them, um, but the one that I lean on often is Psalm 27, verses 1 through 3. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is my life's refuge. Of whom should I be afraid? When evildoers come at me to devour my flesh, these my enemies and foes themselves stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart does not fear. Though war be waged against me, even then do I trust. That's the power you have. That's the Lord's promise. You've got to believe it. You've got to live it. You've got to embrace it. You've got some amazing speakers here. They're going to talk about What's happening here in Ohio, and I, to the good people working here in Ohio, I, I will dedicate and pledge the resources and effort of the American Life League to help you defeat this awful ballot initiative. This is where, again, if not us, who? Right? We founded a Catholic high school. I didn't want to found a Catholic high school, right? But my daughter, when she was three, my oldest daughter, I asked the principal at her Catholic high school, dropping her off. What do I do when it's time for her you know, 12, 13 years from now? He said, you take her to the train station, send her up north. I said, when hell freezes over, putting my daughter on a train, are you a crazy person? And it started a journey, and now here we are. And the work of the high school, the work of the American Life League, it's focused on one thing. It's building a culture of life. And yes, a culture of life is pro-life. Yes, a culture of life is pro-marriage. It's pro-man. It's pro-woman. It's pro-family. It's pro-child. But the main thing a culture of life is, is family, right? Every single one of us can do more for our own families, right? That's where the fight begins. Spend more time together. Make sure as families we pray together. Make sure as families, my kids are all over the place now. They go from 29 to 18. I got them in college. I got them teaching. I got them living in different states. 
But we try when everybody's together to make sure the family eats together, make sure the family talks about real things, right? Spending time together. Because in the end, that's what we're going to be judged for. So my brothers and sisters, I thank you for this time. God bless you and thank you for having me here today. applause. I'm not sure. Now I know it's on. Thank you so much, everyone. Uh, If anybody was able to jot down questions and have not yet given them to one of the volunteers, please go ahead and bring them over to us now. In the meantime, Hugh, I want to talk about the word, and I don't know if I missed it in your talk, if we heard it, but I want to talk about the word toxic, which is what is um, the buzzword uh, of men. Toxic masculinity. Men aren't supposed... The patriarchy is the enemy. Toxic masculinity is the enemy. That's the cause of all of the problems. That's the cause of all of the oppression. That's the cause of all of the... Uh, everything that's wrong with this culture as the, uh, the enemies of the family see it. Can you speak to what is toxic about masculinity and why it is that's what we have to push back against when masculinity has always been, honestly, what has glued and been the, the fabric of the family and the society? Well, Jay, I met you about an hour ago, correct? Bob, and yes. Yeah. Hadn't spoken to you before, didn't know you before. Funny you asked that question. So the St. Michael the Archangel Catholic High School football team, the whole school, we are the Warriors, and it's on our Facebook page. If you want toxic masculinity, send your son to me. Send your son to me, okay? Because we just won a second state championship, and I don't say any of this for around... How did we win a second state championship? Well, we played the toughest schedule in the state of Virginia, went 9-3, and three, I'm sorry, 6-3, and three, actually 7-3 and because the team forfeited, then got to the playoffs, and the entire division forfeited the playoffs. Yes, that's what I said. What? This is football, right? What are we doing? Why? Why did they do it? Because they said you're too physical. And I'm like, that's the greatest compliment you could have ever possibly given me. So toxic masculinity to me is that it's a lie, it's a deception, there is no such thing. It's like me saying I'm a woman. You should come up here and throw me out of the room. It is not true. Right? Toxic masculinity is just the, the words of the enemy trying to, again, intimidate. When we say do not fear, trying to intimidate and not have men be men. Right? We, we see how uh, today men are supposed to, to, to not be the leaders of their families. They're not supposed to be the defenders of their families. They're not supposed to have the traditional roles of men, which is just utter nonsense. So that's just more language, word-twisting, just nonsensical from the enemy. That's all that is. I say if, you, if you're ever confronted with that, just rebuke it. And if you need extra, call me. What's the goal of it, though, Hugh? What is the goal of trying to tear down masculine men and to make them more feminine? And that is not to, to be insulting to feminine, femininity, of course, uh, but there is masculinity and femininity, and they're supposed to have their roles in a family. Why do they want to make men weaker? Because abortion, um, transgenderism, toxic masculinity, it all has the same singular purpose. That's to destroy the family. Right? If you can destroy the family, the family is the domestic church. If you can destroy that, then anything else is possible. If you don't have the family, who are you going to depend on? The government. And that's what they want. Right? They want you to depend on them. So they tear down men. They want to kill our children. Right? They want to have our, 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 our daughters and wives do things that are immoral. Right? It's intended to destroy the family. When Star Parker talked yesterday about the welfare state, I mean, she's exactly right. The government intends 
to destroy, right? And we live in a time where we have to confront those things. And that's another one. I mean, I've seen that toxic masculinity kind of thrown around. We have to have courage. You just have to hit that right back in the face. It's just, it's a nonsensical argument that makes no sense whatsoever. That's the role God gave us as men. If you've got a problem with that, you're probably on the wrong planet. I, uh, I'm, I'm a big asker of why on virtually all things, and in particular things like this. Again, though, why do they want to tear the family down and let everybody turn to the government for answers? Is it just as simple as it sounds, that this is demonic forces, that this is literally Satan operating on earth. He knows that the foundation of the church, the foundation, quite frankly, of Western civilization is the family. It's literally the building blocks. And if we tear that down, we tear Is it simply for the purpose of expanding evil? So we're at day 17 or 18, I think, of Lent, right? And when Christ came through on day 40, uh, the devil took him uh, to the top of a mountain and offered him Every kingdom on the planet. And I've often asked, how's that possible? Every kingdom on the planet, right? Not just the known world, every kingdom on the planet, including those places in Central America and South America where they had those gigantic temples where even in that date and time, they're cutting people open alive, spilling blood, right? The devil has always been in charge of things. And to think that it's anything other than not just the destruction of the family, but the elimination of Christianity, Right? If, you read, if you read the Communist Manifesto and all the things that the, everything has been tried and failed before, it's about demonizing and destroying Christianity. It's about destroying the faith. And that's what we're dealing with today. Right? Transgenderism runs in the face of, of, of our Christian beliefs. Abortion is antithetical to life. A, a, a marriage that's not of a man and a woman is an anti-marriage. It's all the work of the enemy. He's a lot more clever than we are. He is. He's, he's, he's legions smarter than we are. I've learned that much. That's why we lean on heaven, the examples of the saints that I gave. You can't fight this fight alone. We've got to lean on heaven when questions like this come up and ask for their help. And the Lord will lead us through. But we have to have the courage to oppose it. Because if we do nothing, right, your state now is going to have abortion in its constitution. Be ten more states next year. Abortion will be the law. At a point, we'll be right back where they were, where Maximilian Colby was. Right? That's what they were doing. It wasn't just Jewish people. The Nazis, if you read, which I do, the Nazis couldn't wait to get their hands on Catholic priests. Right? They didn't shoot them. They gave them everything they had and kept them alive as long as they could. That's the work of the enemy. We've been there. We got away from that. The demonization and just the destruction of our, of our, our culture and our belief system as Catholics and Christians, that's what they want. Last question for you, Hugh, and this one is just because you, you got me. When you start talking football, you're, in, you're talking my language. You took the pat on the back and said, thank you. I'll accept that, that we are far too physical for you. We are far too masculine for you. And I'm sure your kids were proud of that, too, except for the fact that they were denied the opportunity to compete. They 100%. were denied the opportunity to go out there and do what they love and win that championship on the field by beating down an opponent that was giving them the raw. Their opponents caved and walked away. How did your kids handle that? Well, as I said to them at the time, um, you know, we always, we, we respect everyone, right? And um, the fact that they would not compete against us, to me, was not, not just hurtful to the young men on my program that were, say, juniors and seniors, but how about the other teams, right? They have juniors and seniors, and they're, they're, so now you're denying them that opportunity, right? It's cowardice to me. Not, my mother put it best when this happened, because I visited her, because I thought, hey, we're not having a playoffs, so we'll go visit mom. So I visited mom, and she said, this is what happens when grown men make it about themselves. 
Right? It's never about the kids. I told you earlier I wasn't bragging, but if St. Michael had to come up here and play the Cleveland Browns, we would. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know if the Browns would take that challenge. No, we'd lose by 900 points. But the point is, it's what you try to use sports to, again, football is just a vehicle. It's just a thing. As I say, it could end in a moment. Right? What we want are better men. We want better husbands. We want better fathers. We want Christ-fearing men. That, again, those are the guys that Christ came and grabbed when he yanked them out of the boat and you know, out of the workforce. And that's what we want. And most of them don't know Christ when they come to me. But as I tell them, I'm not going to preach. I'm gonna, we're going we're to lead by example. And you'll see that this is the way we need to follow. And your life will be better for it. Ladies and gentlemen, he was going to practice it, what, two, three, four times, he said in his room before crushing it tomorrow. He crushed it anyway on his very first try right here. Thank you. Hugh Brown, thank Thank you you so much. much. You've been listening to Hugh Brown, American Life League Executive Director and Presenter at the 2023 Bringing America Back to Life Convention. From the Median is listener supported. Visit our website, fromthemedian.org, for further information or to make a donation to continue to make this radio program possible. Email us, radionews at fromthemedian.org or call 440-668-4049. Through our fromthemedian.org website, you can download this or previous programs for your listening pleasure or sign up to receive our weekly preview of upcoming guest interviews. Tune in every weeknight at the same time to listen to another great interview on From the Median as we plan the route that takes us back to the culture of life. This program has been sponsored by Cleveland Right to Life and is responsible for its content.